The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. After Jesus was baptized, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. This past Friday night, we had uh, the first part of our vestry retreat. We uh, get together every year soon after a new vestry has been formed so that the new vestry members and those who are returning get a chance to know each other better. You might be surprised to learn that you can attend Trinity for many years. You recognize people that you've seen year after year, but you don't really know them. And one of the uh, outcomes that we hope for as we have our vestry retreat is that the vestry members will get to know each other and understand each other in that process. Well, Becky organized a couple of uh, very interesting exercises for us to do that. And it was very enlightening. It was uh, it's always a wonderful time because we find out very interesting things about our fellow vestry members. Uh, Many of us come from different traditions. I grew up Methodist and there's always a bit of that. I think that's a part of who I am. Others are, are former Roman Catholics. And we've had vestries where we've had people with no background in Christianity at all and became Episcopalians later in life. But through all of that, as I was thinking about it, and reflecting on it, I realized that uh, our, our identity is really based on our connectedness with people and places. Because as we talk together, we often referred to our extended family. We referred to congregations that we had been a part of in the past and this congregation that we're now a part of. We also talked about the communities that we had lived in and life in those communities. We find our identity and we take our identity really from others. We define ourselves in terms of relationship with other people. I believe that one of the keys to understanding today's gospel is to see it as Jesus gaining a deeper sense of his identity. 
And I hope that I can show you that as I go through this sermon. Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit descended upon him. And the scripture says it was like a dove coming down upon him. And then there was a voice heard from heaven. And the voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, my beloved. And then the next thing that happens is that we hear that he goes out into the wilderness. Mark is much clearer about what happened. Mark says that the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Well, I've often been puzzled over the years as to why Jesus had to be tempted. Why did he have to go through that? And I've sometimes thought about it in terms of it being a part of his incarnation. You know, if he's really going to be human, he has to experience temptation as we experience temptation. And certainly he did. But I think that it's much more than that. I think it has to do with with understanding who he was and what his ministry was going to be about. As I've thought about it also, I've thought that it's very much like a Native American vision quest where a young person would go out off by themselves, often on a mountaintop uh, in South Dakota. They go up on Bear Butte, which sticks up kind of like this. It's not a tall mountain. And they go up to the top of that mountain and put tobacco ties around themselves and they'll stay there for days and they'll be challenged. They'll be tempted, but all the time praying for the great spirit to give them a vision of what their life will be, of what their mission will be. And I think what Jesus went through is also a little bit like what we hear the mystics describe as the dark night of the soul. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced aspects of the dark night of the soul. Those times when we wonder if God is really there. Those times when we are perhaps challenged by health issues or by a reversal of fortune or by challenges within our family. And we wonder, where is God now? That's part of spiritual journey. And somehow it's it is uh, encouraging to me to know that Jesus experienced something like what I've experienced as the dark night of the soul. So I think for Jesus, it was a way of affirming what he heard declared at his baptism, that he was the son of God and that he was beloved. Rowan Williams, uh, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, I think helps us to understand a little bit about temptation. He writes, the word temptation nowadays has become diluted so that it is used mainly to prod others towards a bit of pardonable naughtiness. It's about cream cakes for people on diets and not much more. And then he goes on to say that it's such an inadequate understanding that we have for something that's so central to the, to the gospel message. And I think about uh, that word, you know, temptation, as we have it translated from the Greek. The Greek word is uh, it includes ideas of, of empiricism of being empirical and all the ideas around that and what that might imply. So when we are tempted, we are being tested. And I like the more contemporary version of the Lord's Prayer for that reason, because it says, save us from the time of trial. 
That's what that's really about, the time of trial. And the purpose of the trial is to find out who we really are. But those are not easy times. We don't seek them out. In fact, we pray to be saved from them. And in fact, Jesus had to be driven out to have the experience of that trial. And I think understood that way, we we see that this is an opportunity for Jesus to realize who he really is, to have confidence in the fact that he is the Son of God. Now, uh, often these scriptures that we heard this morning can lead us off into some things that uh, I think don't necessarily help us. I can't let the Genesis passage pass without saying, Eve was framed. (laughs) I had to work that in somewhere. She wasn't alone. Adam was with her. And the sad thing is that that text has been used as warrant for the witch hunts that went on in the 16th century because of the sin of women and carrying that on to those who had esoteric powers, perhaps. So I want to set that aside. There's not time to dig into to Genesis, but I know that Eve was framed. Uh, but beyond that, this text, I think sometimes we start focusing on the temptations and try to think about them in terms of our own life. You know, what what does the bread represent and what does it represent about the powers of to have power over other things? I think that leads us into thought about these niggling sins that we deal with in our lives that perhaps we do need to think about. But I think that's a lesser message than what we hear in this passage. I believe that part of this passage had to do with Jesus understanding his ministry and what that would be. And he would be hungry just as much of the world is hungry. He would be vulnerable just as we are vulnerable, relying on the promises and the grace of God. And he would not resort to earthly power, the powers of the kingdoms of this world, but rather he would inaugurate the power that comes from God, the love of God in a kingdom of God. All of this, I think, was part of Jesus' identity. And I believe, in a way, this passage is saying that somehow he discovered this in that dark night, in that wilderness, when he was so alone. As I meditated on this passage in preparing to preach it, I I realized that some of the words of the Lord's Prayer, I will never hear the same again. Our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Your will be done. Give us bread for today. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from the evil one. I wonder how much of that prayer came from Jesus' wilderness experience. How much of that prayer was for him a way of sustaining him when perhaps there were other temptations? How much of that prayer he wanted to pass on to you and to me as we go through our dark nights of the soul? This past Wednesday, a number of us received the imposition of ashes, a mark on the forehead in ash, and the words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's 
also kind of a sign of identity for us. It's reminding us of our mortality, that we will die. We will not just go on forever. And along with that awareness of mortality, at least for me, comes the awareness of my imperfection. Awareness of those things that I do that I would not do. The things that I would rather not do, but I do. Paul talked about that in a number of places. This inability that we seem to have to live the Christian life to its fullness as as we would want to live it. And we also know that there are times when we really do want that miracle. It'd be great. Jesus, for Jesus, it was the stones that maybe could become bread. He was so hungry. For us, it might be something else. That miracle moment that would change everything. Intervention by God in a moment that we needed God the most. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to be so vulnerable? It seems that, it, that there's an aspect of humanity, of our humanity, that We want to control things. We want to control our life. We don't want this to get out of control. But yet, we can't seem to rely on God. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we knew that God was God? A friend of mine used to say, I wish God would just leave a note around once in a while. (laughs) How often I have thought that myself. I believe that That is part of realizing our mortality, our limitations. Remember that I am dust, and to dust I shall return. But we are not Ash Wednesday people. We are Easter people. And there is another time when the sign of the cross is made on our foreheads, and it's at every baptism. And we take aromatic oil and put it on our thumb, the celebrant does, and marks the sign of the cross in that person being baptized. And we say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. There are no more beautiful words in any liturgy that I've ever said or heard than that. You are Christ's own forever. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. I believe that that is what it is to be an Easter person, to be aware of our mortality, but also to know that we are loved and that we can never be separated from God. So in this holy season of Lent, perhaps we can benefit by embracing the season as an opportunity for us to have a clear sense of our identity, of who we really are. And may that be an awareness that we are beloved by God, that you and I are children of God. And as we go through this Lenten season, we will see our elder brother, Jesus, standing before Pilate and not losing his identity, being subject to all kinds of abuse by those who hated him, and finally offering himself on the cross but still, as the Son of God, God's beloved. And then, then, he will be raised from the dead. My prayer for you and for me is that during this holy season of Lent, we may be drawn more deeply into the heart of God, 
and also drawn more deeply into our understanding of who we truly are. Beloved of God, children of the Most High. Amen.